0: If you say ESG, then immediately people will think ethical, they'll think sustainable, they'll think impact, they'll think trade-off for returns. That isn't true. That might come from ethical, but that's not ESG.
1: People are really, really concerned about what's happening to the planet, and a good number of people, actually notably financial advisors, are very often more focused on the social side, which is great also, but they interconnect.
2: Everyone's talking ESG, taking it really seriously. But on the other hand, I think we're still so far from having an investment industry that truly takes responsibility for the impacts of investment decisions on people and planet.
3: When we left you last episode, ESG was booming, but a fall in global equity markets was about to change that. But beyond the market downturn, another threat, greenwashing, was challenging the $2.8 trillion sustainable investment industry. Investors and advisors took a step back, looked at the products available, and thought, how legitimate is all of this? For investment committees, it felt difficult
4: to make informed decisions about the products that were available on the market. By now, greenwashing is a well-known industry phenomenon but there have been some standout events in recent years that really showed the dangerous extent of greenwashing by asset managers. Desiree Fixler, who you heard from last episode, left the German asset manager DWS in 2021. She accused her former employer of fabricating sustainability-related claims, prompting an investigation by the US financial regulator that is still ongoing. Remember Wirecard, the German payments processor company that collapsed when 1.9 billion euros went missing? Well, DWS had awarded them a B-score for business ethics at the time. Desiree couldn't understand how a company with billions of euros missing could have been highly rated for good governance. Then last year, HSBC also saw several adverts banned for misleading claims about its green investments, according to the UK's advertising watchdog.
3: For Catherine Howarth, the CEO of ShareAction, The dominance of large asset managers in the sustainable investment world has actually set the industry back from what it originally set out to do, mobilise more money into green investments.
2: But at the same time, I really do think the advisor community and the wealth management sector could step up even to a much tougher level because they have so much influence. The, The choice of funds they put on their platforms, the dialogue that they have. Representing the interests of the underlying clients in terms of nudging those um fund management companies to constantly strive to a more ambitious approach on this, there's you know we make great progress has been made, but there's more to do as the industry
3: ballooned, greenwashing risk came closer to home for advisors. A host of companies entered the ESG rating space. Some regulated, some not all giving different scores to companies that could cloud the picture when it comes to finding the right funds. There was finger pointing about doing ESG the right way, and this took the focus away from the end client, their appetite for risk, and the extent to which they valued sustainable investments. It was amidst this confusion that the FCA stepped in.
5: I guess I would probably say that the demand is already there. It's mm. not our role as a regulator to do that. We're not there to tell the market what to do. Mm. Um, the government has a green strategy. Mm. Um, we absolutely support that. We, we support the work that they're doing. But actually, we can and should be neutral. What we are here to do is to facilitate uh, the choices of both consumers and the broader market.
3: This is Alicia Kajerski, head of department for ESG at the Financial Conduct Authority, who came into CityWise offices in mid-June to update us on the regulators' efforts to tackle greenwashing and how that's going to affect financial advisors.
5: This is an interesting question because what we're going to tackle and then the change we want to see, Mm -hmm. let me sort of uh, unpack those Mm -hmm. uh, together. Because in terms of the current work, I think the very immediate term is actually to deliver what's already in train. Mm-hmm. So the sustainability uh, disclosure requirements, SDR, which I suspect I will be referring to quite a bit, absolutely critical. We need to get those. We're uh, just coming up to the end of the, or we finish the consultation period, but we are coming up to when we will be coming back to the market. We're considering all of the Very rich and extensive feedback we got. So stuff like
4: that is going to be critical to land now. So the sustainability disclosure and labeling requirements are taking priority, which are due to be finalized in Q4 of this year. Our main question for Alicia was how the FCA would align a standardized set of fund labeling rules, which yes, can be applied to investment portfolios too, with consumers' individual investment needs and preferences.
5: And we do want to strike a balance between firms being able to accurately describe what the product is yeah. with making sure that those words and names mean something to mm. you the uh the consumer because ultimately and that's always how we describe sdr it is a consumer centric regime yeah it's about giving consumers the information they need and making sure that they feel the confidence Mm -hmm. that they can go and make these investment choices for themselves Mm. um so if firms do have products that are labeled as ethical yeah it, it is important that that's Backed up by something.
3: Can you say anything about the breakdown of responses from different parts of the financial services industry? And that is the one that I absolutely can't.
5: <laughs> okay. I I know the responses, and I can't comment on any individual responses okay. or even from individual groups. Um, but I think. Uh, Probably uh, just to reiterate what we, what we spoke about before, which is um, we always take that responsibility so seriously. So mm-hmm. anybody who's given us a response, we're, we're taking those all into account. It's um, it's very important to us that we strike that balance. Mm-hmm. So if you have sent in a response, uh, any of your listeners, then it's, it's been heard.
3: But whenever they come, the rules could call into question the legitimacy of ESG products that advisors already recommend.
5: So I do think it's fair to say that there will be some impact mm. um, and there will be uh, some cost or some impact and cost throughout the distribution chain. But I also think that in the longer term, mm. uh, the the benefits will again outweigh those costs. Yeah. Because what it means is if we're really thinking about the market um, and uh, investment products around DSG in the longer term, mm. in the longer term, consumers will have and investors will have more confidence mm. and therefore those costs that inevitably come when there are um, new regulations being put out mm. and you have to make those those adjustments, I think in the longer term, they will still be, uh, will be in a better place.
3: We also asked Alicia to talk about her stance on ESG ratings providers But she said she didn't want to say on record what issues, if any, the FCA had identified in that sector. As it stands, the Treasury is deciding whether these firms will come into the regulator's orbit.
5: It's one of those where we we tend to take two approaches, um, uh, I, well, three actually. One, you either just you don't regulate, definitely outside. You regulate uh, directly, mm. and the other one is uh, essentially the firms you regulate. The onus is on them to make sure that they're doing the checks and they understand the product that they're receiving. Okay. So that can often be the case with um, like third-party providers, outsourcing requirements.
3: So we asked some people in the industry how they thought SDR would impact financial advisors. Our interviewees said standardised labels and better communication from product providers would overall be helpful for advisors. Catherine Howarth, who you're about to hear, is a member of the FCA's ESG Advisory Committee.
2: There's a huge spectrum across the advisory community in terms of the sophistication of understanding But things like the FCA's new sustainability disclosure regulation is going to really help because they are trying to put funds into different buckets that will make it easier for the advisory community to make that assessment.
4: Julia Dreblo, the founding director of SRI services, who you heard from last episode, agreed that funds based on exclusions shouldn't be considered sustainable under the FCA's proposed SDR.
1: Just because a fund integrates ESG risk doesn't make it a sustainable fund. It's really good that it is integrating esg risk, but that's just investment analysis. You know, it's not, it's, it should be business as usual. Of course, a fund manager should understand risks. And some people are getting a bit stroppy that that's falling outside of SDR, but they shouldn't. You should be differentiating those funds that are forward-looking and externally facing, that are actually trying to invest in companies that are solving problems and doing great things and, and actually likely to be part of, part of our future. Compared to those where the fund manager is just trying to make sure there's a good board structure and people aren't maybe being, you know, too rough and ready with their clients and and just managing things well. they're Very, very different things.
4: Other advisors questioned why the regulator's approach to ESG is preventative, focusing on stamping out greenwashing rather than proactive efforts to be more sustainable. Here's Julian Parrott. He's the advisor from last episode who had a millennium moment and opened his advice firm, Ethical Futures, in 2005.
0: i retained some concern. Um, um, I responded to both um, papers. I think we were one of the only three financial advisors that responded to the first one. Um, And one of them was a very major company, a national company, Um, but... um, I'm a bit concerned about the way it's done it I mean it, it it's the FCA I I I've done some work for the FCA in the past and um uh they, they were talking around this and, and they're they're a regulator their their driver is um is uh consumer detriment it it is it, it is driven from from, from from the uh uh from greenwash issues um and my view is that they you wouldn't build the solution and the labelling process in the way that you that they've done if um if you started from ground up and just a positive basis. Catherine
2: Howarth agreed with Julian. One thing I will say is that I think the where the FCA is at is very much around um better disclosures, greater clarity, uh enabling people to be protected from greenwash. I think the FCA could and will eventually go further by acknowledging that the underlying interest from a lot of end consumers is to have this net positive impact through their investments. And I think there's, you know, if you compare the approach at EU level, which has this double materiality approach, it's it's more focused on that impact story than the regulatory approach at UK level. Having said that, I think, you know, the FCA is just trying to kind of take first steps, get them right, um, learn from some of the things that haven't gone so well in the EU's sustainable finance uh,
4: regulatory agenda. This divergence in regulatory approaches that Catherine explains tells another story, one about the companies and the politics shaping different sustainable investment regimes all around the world. In the next episode, we'll travel
3: to the US where over $210 billion is currently invested in sustainable funds. But some of the largest asset managers are more reluctant than ever to promote ESG in the midst of political disruption and a raging culture war. We'll look at how this has impacted investors and the advisor community and examine what the UK can learn from the US's mistakes. This
2: this country's relationship with ESG is, is really marked by uncertainty right now. Uh, and it will be for the foreseeable future, um, just based on who's elected president, uh, who controls the SEC, how the court decides to look at different rules that are on the books, or preclude the rulemaking authority of different agencies. So there's a lot, just a lot we don't know right now.